Well, today we're going to continue with our series in, in, in uh, Acts, and we're going to jump into chapter 3. We just recently spent four weeks in chapter 2. I would encourage you to, if you've missed any of them, to go back and please listen to them and keep up with what's going on. I, I want to say this one more time. Chapter 2 is incredibly critical. Uh, if you're going to walk through the book of Acts like we're doing, you've got to nail down chapter 2. And I want you to know something, that chapter 2 is deeper than you think. Chapter 2 is richer than you think. you got to get chapter 2 before you get to chapter 3. Amen? And so I would encourage you to go back and listen to the, any of those previous messages. And so today, let's, let's get into chapter 3. Um, <clears throat> we're going to start to see the signs and wonders that Luke was talking about in chapter 2. Luke decides to write about this one sign and wonder or miracle. In particular, it's the crippled beggar. And so the title of my message today is Get It, Then Give It. Say it with me. Get it, then give it. I'll tell you what you're going to get and what you need to give in just a few minutes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's sharper than a two-edged sword to pierce even the hardest hearts. Today, God, I pray that you pierce our hardened hearts. I pray today, God, that your word gets inside of us and forever transforms our life. Anoint my tongue. May it be your words, not mine. And may you give us ears to hear and a heart to understand today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you remember two weeks ago, I, I told you that God is always looking for followers who would adjust their lives to be available to him. All of us adjust our lives for many different things. If you have a, a surprise sickness, all of a sudden now you have to adjust your life. If you have a major surgery, now all of a sudden you have to adjust your life, right? Come on, if you, if you make a career change, you have to adjust your life. What if we would, we would get the understanding that this life is only temporary and eternal life is forever, and that would be the driving force even greater than a major surgery, a career change, or even a loss of life, that we would understand that that's more important than anything we could experience on the planet, and we would then begin to adjust our lives to be available to God. What could happen in your house, in your family, in your neighborhood, in this city, and in this world? What would happen if God's people finally got the understanding that the kingdom is greater than this world and let me adjust my life to be available to God for him to use me as he sees fit? Oh, not as I see fit. Oh, man, it would be an incredible place. Things would turn around quickly. Amen? We would see some things start to happen right away. So when God finds someone who is willing to adjust their life to serve him, he pours out his spirit on them to give them the power to go along with their willingness to serve him. Check this out. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you a good prayer to pray. Very short. Everybody can pray it every morning. You ready? Get your pencil. You ready to write it down? Here's the prayer. Incredible, powerful prayer. Use me, Lord. Boom. Just pray with an open and honest heart. Use me, Lord. 
and watch what happens. Use me, Lord. Got it? Wrote it down? It wasn't long. Short prayer, big power. Come on, somebody. It's quiet in this church this morning. So I want to share four points with you today out of chapter three in Acts. I want to talk to you about what I see. I see a motivation. I see a miracle. I see a moment. And then I see a mouth. And we'll get to that one at the end. A motivation, a miracle, a moment, and then the mouth. So let's start with number one, the motivation. Acts, I want to, I want to flip forward to Acts chapter 8 for just a second. We'll get to this later on, and I'll go into more detail on this one when we get to chapter 8. But I want to share something with you uh, about a wrong motivation. There was this guy named Simon. He was a magician or a sorcerer in this city that they went and preached to, and, and he got saved. He got saved, and, and he saw the works of God, and he wanted it. So watch what happens in, in verse 18 of chapter 8. When Simon saw that the spirit was given when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, listen to Peter's response. May your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gifts can be bought. You can have no part in this for your heart is not right with God. Now, 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 you might be thinking, well, he was asking for the right thing, right? Isn't it a good thing to ask for the power to lay hands on people so that they might also receive the Holy Spirit? Is that not good? It is good. He was asking for the right thing. He just had an issue with his motivation. You see, he had been a sorcerer or a magician for years, and he had a reputation for, for, for magical or mysterious things happening. He got paid for it. He got attention for it. He was wanting the power of the Holy Spirit to gain wealth and to gain attention. He wanted the right thing with the wrong motivation. He wanted to bring attention to himself and to keep his own name great. But we got to understand and remember today that the Holy Spirit is poured out to give us power to make his name great not ours. We're, if you can boil it down and make it very simple, we're here on this planet to make Jesus' name great. So whatever you do, as long as you're making Jesus' name great, go for it. Either this is really good or you're really tired. Okay, I'll, I'll go with really good. So a pure motivation, watch this, this is what I see from Simon, a pure motivation is greatly rewarded. Peter and John were able to lay hands on people and those people would also receive the power of the Holy Spirit, right? So a pure motivation is greatly rewarded. A twisted motivation is greatly rebuked. Check your motivation. Why do you do what you do? Why do you want from God what you want from God? Is it just for you? Is it just so you can feel better? Hmm. Let's go to Acts chapter 3 before I start meddling. 
Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 2, watch this. He says, as they approached the temple, a, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate. So he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently. And Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. You see, their motivation was pure. Their heart was right. They woke up that morning with a mission, with the motivation to make Jesus known. You got to get this today. If I can wake up every day with the mission and the motivation to make Jesus known, I will live a radical life. I will live an adventurous life. And when I get to heaven, everybody's going to know my name. Come on, with the right motivation, I can see God move in every area of life. Their motivation was to make Jesus known to others. Let's talk about motivation for a second. Motivation's definition is that which incites to action, that which determines the choice or moves the will. It's your reason. It's your cause. Why do you do what you do? Why do you say what you say? Why do you go where you go? What? That's your motivation. Whatever causes you to do that, that's your motivation. So what would happen if we would begin to ask God to purify our motivation God purify my motivation if there's selfishness inside of me remove it if there's self-centeredness inside of me remove it God if it's all about me show me and help me to let it loose remove it God I want to live with a pure motivation the beggar had a motivation also the beggar was there every day. <laughs> he was there for several reasons. <laughs> Here's two of his motivations. The first reason they set him at the gate when people would walk into the temple was so that if they told him no when he was begging for money, they would feel guilty when they went into church. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> Don't tell me beggars ain't smart. They got it all figured out. Come on. He, he would, he would, they would sit him at the gate to go into the temple and he would beg for money and if they told him no, he'd go, that's okay, guilt's gonna get you and you're gonna give me something when you come back out. And so then when they would come back out, they would have to pass by him again, but now they done been with the Lord and he's capitalizing on their moment in God's presence. Crafty, wouldn't you say? Tricky, wouldn't you say? Pretty smart. Wouldn't you say? But here's the problem. He was just outside of the gate from God's presence. And it amazes me today how people can be so close to God's presence and still want the wrong things. He was contented to be a cripple his whole life. He didn't ask for healing. He didn't ask for a miracle. He didn't ask for anything else but money. He just wanted support for his disability. That's all he wanted. How many of you know we run into people like that every day? 
What can the government give me? What can I get out of people? What can people give me? Because I'm a victim. I'm always going to be a victim. I'm always going to be disabled. I just need somebody to support my disability. I don't want to trust God to get out of it. I just want to capitalize on it. He had a motivation, but his motivation was wrong. How many of you know that the Lord always wants better for us than we usually want for ourselves? You see, Peter and John came that day with the right motivation. They were just going to a prayer meeting. It was a three o'clock prayer meeting. They were just going to the temple to pray. It was a Jewish tradition. It was one of the few that they hung on to. They didn't do the sacrifice thing because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. So they didn't go to the sacrifice meeting. They went to the prayer meeting, which was perfectly fine. So they're on their way to the prayer meeting with the right motivation that if I would get the opportunity to make Jesus known, I'm going to take advantage of it. Like I'm going to jump on it. And they run into the guy who's the crippled beggar who's always been there. And what do they say? The guy's asking for money. What does Peter say? First off, it says that Peter looked at him intently. Then it says he say, told the man, look at me. Look at us. <laughs> I don't have any silver or gold for you. But I'll give you what I have. You remember the title of the message? Get it, then give it away. Get it, then give it. Now, I'm going to share something with you that you may have not thought about before. But this same man was sitting at the same gate when Jesus was walking on the planet. And when Jesus would go back and forth from the, and to the temple, he would have passed this man several times. But Jesus never healed him. He's been crippled his whole life. They set him at the gate every day. That's what the Bible just told us. During that time, Jesus would have gone in and out of that temple several times and passed right by that guy. But Jesus never healed him. Which begs the question, why? Why would Jesus not have healed the crippled beggar? Could it be that Jesus was leaving this one for Peter and John? Could it be that the timing was not right? You see, Jesus knows how to pull a crowd in, and Jesus knows how to speak to a crowd through a miracle. He knows that. He knows timing. He knows when people are there. He knows who's there. He knows what's going to happen. He knows the whole timing of the universe and when things are supposed to happen strategically to erupt the church. Jesus knows all that. What if he saved it for the right time? What if this was the right time? You ever wonder why God doesn't answer your prayers when you pray them? Maybe it's just as simple as this. It's not the right time. It could be several other things, but maybe it's just not the right time. So does that mean you quit believing? No. Does that mean you quit asking? No. It means you keep going. <laughs> Either way, Peter and John were motivated to help the lost around them experienced Jesus like never before. 
You see, Peter and John loved people enough with the love of God that they, they met the crippled beggar, and instead of giving him what he wanted, they gave him what he needed. Now, this is important, because sometimes we always want to give people what they want. But what they want can be wrong. Anybody ever pray the wrong thing? Anybody ever pray with the wrong motivation? (laughs) I can't tell how many times I told God to correct my wife, and he corrected me instead. I had the wrong motivation. I thought she was jacked up. I was jacked up. (laughs) They gave him what he needed, not what he wanted. So people will come to you, and God will allow people to come into your life with a need that they think they need, but it's really just a want. How did they discover what the guy needed? Well, the Bible says that when they walked up to the guy, they looked at him intently. Let me teach you something real quick. The Holy Spirit is in every moment. I'm going to say that again. The Holy Spirit is in every moment of your life. They walk up to the guy. He's begging for money. They look at him intently. You know what they did? They bought themselves enough time to hear the Holy Spirit say how to deal with this situation. Because they didn't have a handbook that gave them a generic answer to everything. Is this making sense? They walked up into the situation. And we will walk into many different situations. And we need to pause for a minute. Ask the Holy Spirit, what would you have me do here? And then do whatever he says to do here. (laughs) They looked at him intently. The Holy Spirit didn't say give him silver or gold. He said get him up. Now, he could have said silver go, right? That would have been good, too. And maybe there's days where God does say, give them what they want. But what if it's a day when he says, no, tell them to stand up? What if we just looked at people intently? You ever have somebody just kind of, you approach them and they just kind of stare at you for a minute? It's like, you know, that's perfectly Okay. Like, that's not psycho or weird. Just pause. You'll shock them. Hey, man, this is how it is. People run into your life with a crisis. You just go, hmm. You actually just did them a favor. I'm I'm learning this because I'm a fixer. I like to fix people's problems so they come all wild up. I'll get all, let's go fix it. Ah!" They met the man where he was and they loved him enough to trust the Holy Spirit to tell them what to do with him and they did it and a miracle happened. Wow. You see, a man with the right motivation can be used more by God than a man with all the wisdom and skills of this world. Remember in in chapter one, it's all got started with this verse, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be witnesses telling people about me everywhere. You see, you get one for the other. You get the power for the witness. If you don't plan on being a witness, then you don't need the power. So there was a, this motivation. I don't want to be like Simon. Simon. I don't want the power of God or the gifts of God for the wrong motivation. I want them for the right thing, and I want my heart to be right. 
The second thing I notice is the miracle. Verse 6. So Peter, Peter it says, look at me, silver and gold I don't have for you, but what I do have you, I'll give it to you. What I do have, I'll give it to you. Here's the continuation of that, of that verse. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the hand, by the right hand, and helped him up. As he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. He'd never done that before. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. That kind of strikes me because he, he hadn't gone into the temple before. He just sat at the gate trying to capitalize on the people that were going into the temple, but he didn't want to go into the temple by himself. He was outside the temple. Very important. Because you see, sometimes we expect people to come into the church house to get saved and to get touched by God. But God's got them sitting at the gate. You're walking by them every day. If you don't get led by the Holy Spirit, you're going to walk right past them and the gates are going to be filled with crippled people while you're walking into the church. We got to quit waiting for people to show up at church and start touching them where they are and trust God for where they are and then they'll follow you into the church. My God in heaven, we don't need the smoke lights and the mirrors to get people. We don't need to turn into the movie theater or the concert hall. We just need to be the church of the living God and touch people in the marketplace and in your neighborhood and God will bring them. They'll follow you. He was outside the church. When Peter and John met him. So let me unpack these verses for you real quick because there's a few things in here that need some clearing up. Peter makes this statement. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. I just want to bring a little bit of correction to this. The name of Jesus is something that we pray, right? Right? In the name of Jesus, be healed. In the name of Jesus, I pray this turns around. In the name of, right? Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about? But some people have taken that and turned it into a magical phrase. Some people think, and they have the understanding, that if I say in the name of Jesus, then that means God's hand gets forced to do whatever I command God to do, and all of a sudden, me and God swap positions. It's not a magical phrase. It is simply an identification of whose authority I'm coming in. So I don't get to walk up in any situation without the authority of God and say, in the name of Jesus, I pray your hair turns blonde. And it doesn't turn blonde. I look like an idiot. Because I came with the wrong authority, right? I tried to use the phrase as a magical phrase. Does that make sense? So it's simply identifying whose authority you are about to use. It's giving the situation you're walking into notice that you're operating in the greatest authority known. But listen to me. You better make sure you have the authority before you open your mouth. And trust me, you'll know if you got it or not. Then he tells the guy to get up and walk. What is that? That, That's just a faith-filled instruction on what to do next. You see, in in verse 4, he he, he looks at the guy intently. That's what I was talking about a minute ago. He looks at him intently, and I guarantee you the Holy Spirit said, tell him to get up and walk. 
So it's really not complicated. The Holy Spirit's doing all the work. Peter and John walk up. They see the guy begging for money. The Holy Spirit says, stop. They look at him intently. He says, man, I don't have any silver or gold for you. Tell him to get up and walk. Get up and walk. Their only preparation for that day was to make sure that their motivation was right. They didn't need a degree to do that. They didn't need to go to seminary. They didn't need to have a title as a pastor or healing evangelist. Or These were believers. But I want you to see something. The miracle was not only in what happened, but even how quickly it happened. Hmm. You see, the guy wasn't asking for a miracle, was he? Wasn't even on his radar. He just come to the place in his life where he figured he'd be this way for the rest of his life. And some of you sitting here today believe your marriage will be this way for the rest of your life. And I would say to that, you're believing a lie. Because the miracle wasn't only in what God did, the miracle was in how quickly God did it. Think about this. In a matter of seconds, this man was able to do what he could have only dreamed of doing his whole life. Instantly, the Bible says. Think about this. The night before, he went to bed a crippled beggar. But this night, when he goes to bed, he goes to bed as a healed man, fully restored. Tell me that's not a good day. Come on. You were, you, were, you were sitting at the gate doing your same old hustle, believing for your same old crumbs off everybody else's table, and in an instant, God touched your life and transformed you. Last night, you went to bed. Somebody probably had to put you in bed. Tonight, you're on your own two feet. You see, Peter and John's motivation was right. Their heart was right. And as they were going through their day, God uses them to do a miracle. That miracle is very important because that miracle creates a moment, which is point three, the moment. The motivation leads to the miracle, which creates the moment. I hope you can see this. The motivation, the right motivation, leads to miracles, which creates moments. It's getting better and better as we go. Verse 9. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. So there was something they saw and something they heard. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded, exclamation mark. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Wow. You know, it's always better when people hold tightly to you because God used you in their life versus people holding tightly to you because you became their welfare system. So even leading people, we need to check our motivation. (laughs) 
even discipling and counseling and helping people, we need to check our motivation because sometimes we think it's the, it's the work of God through us, but it's really just our welfare to them that they're attracted to. But it's so much better when they're attracted to the power of God in your life than your pocketbook. Amen? So he's holding tightly to Peter and John. The miracle set the stage for the moment to happen. This man's reaction to being healed is grabbing everybody's attention. It says he jumped up. He stood on his own two feet. He ran to the temple praising God, shouting, hallelujah, I just got touched by God. Now he spent his whole life sitting at a, a major entry into the temple trying to get people's attention and now all of a sudden God touches his life and now he is the attention. But his attention is bringing attention to Jesus. Still wondering why Jesus didn't heal him? I bet like most people that we see who are always in need, the majority of the crowd probably got used to looking over him until this miracle happened. And this miracle had a, an explosive impact on those around that day. See, sometimes I wonder why God does what he does. I even wonder when he chooses to do something, why did he choose then? You ever, you ever stop and think about that? Like, God, why do you do that? Why did you do that now? Do y'all think about that? If you don't think about things like that, it, that really puzzles me. Because it probably says you're pretty distracted. God, why do you do what you do? Why did you do that today? Why did you wait so long for this? Hmm. God knows how to get people's attention, doesn't he? <laughs> God used a contented cripple to draw attention to himself and create a moment. So their motivation qualifies. It qualifies them to take part in a miracle. Which creates a moment for them to use their mouth. Think about this for a minute. I've been up here for 12 years, at least, if not 13 or 14. I can't keep track. And I've, I, you know how I do. I grab my Bible. And I go, it's, it's important for you to read your Bible. Sometimes I've slammed my Bible. You need to read your Bible. How many of you know you've seen me do this? You, see, you know that when I grab my Bible, oh God, here it comes. He's going to tell me to read my Bible. <laughs> How many of you know that I, I constantly encourage you to spend time with the Lord at the beginning of your day? Right? Not at the end of your day. You know what that's for? It's so you can get your heart right. You can get your motivation right. So when you step out of your bedroom or your quiet place and you step into your own world that's probably chaotic, 
you're already set up, ready to go, prepared, fully equipped to do everything that would confront you that day. You can't get your motivation right if you ain't spending time with Jesus. You're not spending time with Jesus, you're living in your own motivation. And I'm going to tell you, that's a worldly motivation. It's a carnal motivation. But we're God's people. According to your quietness, this might be the best message I ever preached. So the motivation qualifies them to take part in a miracle, which creates this moment for them to use their mouth. Number four, here's the mouth. Watch this, verse 12. Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. This is the second time this has happened since the day of Pentecost. Back up 50 plus days, Peter's standing around a fire after Jesus gets arrested, saying three times, and I don't even know this guy, and now all of a sudden he's standing twice. He's stepping into the crowd and addressing the crowd and telling them about Jesus. Jesus. Don't tell me you don't need the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't tell me you don't need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We all need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. This world doesn't get saved by an intellectual Christian. It gets saved by a power-filled Christian. So Peter saw his opportunity, addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he says, why, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we made this man walk by our own power or godliness? A couple of things I see in this verse. Peter saw his opportunity, which tells me this. Come on, look at me. Look at me. It tells me this, that he woke up that morning looking for an opportunity. Because you don't see something you're not looking for. He woke up, spent time with Jesus, cleared his eyes, and he was looking for an opportunity to make Jesus famous. But what would happen if we would spend every day looking for one opportunity to make Jesus famous? I wonder how many people would hold tightly to us the next time we come to church. I wonder how many people would say, hey, what time does your church service start? Can I come with you? Because you got something on you that I want, and I'm just going to go where you're going because I want what you got. So when's the last time you went into your day looking for an opportunity to make Jesus famous? Or have you gotten wrapped up in the dread of going to work again? The dread of working at that place. I had a job like that one time. I quit the job, worked for a horrible guy. Dude was a jerk. Ran me like a ragged dog. I hated the job. One day he, he crossed all the lines and I quit. I got off the machine, the excavator, and I got, I got in my Volkswagen. <laughs> That's back when I used to fit in one. And I got in my Volkswagen, I drove home, and I told my wife, I said, I quit. And she's like, uh, <laughs> okay, we're not going to talk about this? No, I quit. I see you won't go out to eat. Tell me that was smart. So we're sitting at dinner, and I'm telling her about why I quit, trying to justify me quitting. And the Holy Spirit said, I didn't tell you to quit. Go get your job back. You'll be there till they open the road. I mean, in the middle of me and Cheryl's conversation, I didn't tell you to quit. 
Go get your job back. You'll be there till they open the road. That's exactly what he told me. And I just stopped and I told Cheryl, I said, dang, I think I need to go get my job back. To which she was like, yes, that's the Lord. That is the Lord. You need to go get your stinking job back tomorrow. (laughs) So I walked myself up to that job site the next morning and I looked at the boss who's a jerk and I humbled myself and I said, I'm sorry for leaving you hanging yesterday. Will you please forgive me? Can I have my job back? To which he said, oh, I knew you'd be back. It's the money. I was making $12 an hour. Bro, it ain't the money. And I stayed on that job and I witnessed to people and I was an influence to the people around me. And my last day on the job, they took the barricades down and they opened the road. So don't get distracted by what you don't like. Wake up and ask God to help you see the opportunities in front of you, no matter what your environment is. What instead of, instead of escaping your environment, what if God's got you in that environment to change that environment? Yeah, I know, you don't like that. That's okay. You don't have to like it. Just do it. So Peter once again addresses the crowd. He makes it, let's just pay attention to what he, what he addresses. He makes it very clear that this miracle was Jesus' doing and not theirs. He took no glory for it. All glory is to be given to God always. Amen? Amen. So let's look at Peter's message and then we'll wrap this, this sermon up. Verse 19. Peter says, he says a lot of things. I just I simplified it. Brought it down. Peter says, now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. So here we see the same message that, G- that Peter preached in chapter two. He's preaching it again in chapter three. What is he preaching? Turn or repent of your sins, which means to turn away from your sin. Use the same passion you were sinning with to turn away from your sin. But then he says to turn to God. And I told you this last week, and I'm going to say it again. Some of us are good at turning away from sin, but we don't turn to God. We stay with ourselves. And then we end up back in sin again because we don't have the power to deliver ourselves. So he makes it very clear, turn from your sin, but turn to God. That means this, when God brings it to your attention that you're in sin, turn away from it, get close to him, and don't move away from him. Turn to God. It's not one prayer. It's your life. Turn to God. Then he says this, times of refreshment. How many of you like refreshments? Hi, my name's Jamie. I love refreshments. (laughs) I love the, the, the weird Kool-Aid they make at weddings. Come on, somebody. Not, not the spiked one. <laughs> I heard some of your thoughts. Jesus gave me a moment. They were like, I bet you do. You're one of them sipping pastors. I'm not. Some days I want to be. No, I'm joking. Times of refreshment will come. What is refreshment? Refreshment is the restoration of your strength and nourishment. You see, strength is restored when hope is restored. So watch this. Peter says, turn from your sin, 
turn back to God, that is refreshing. Because you went from the demonic oppression of sin to the holy presence of God, and your hope is restored, which then restores your strength. And where you were getting weak in sin, you're now finding hope and strength in God. Come on. It's better to turn to God than to turn to sin. It's better to turn to God than to turn to social media. It's a whole lot better. (laughs) Times of refreshment will come. Where do they come from? They come from the presence of the Lord. When you turn from sin and you turn back to God, you go back into his presence. You know what happens when we sin? God don't take off running. He don't run off with his hands in there and go, oh God, they sinned again. No, that's not what he does. He doesn't even kick you out. When you sin, he stands right there where he's always been and he waits for you to turn and come back to him. My sin leads me away from God because it's hard to be in a relationship with a loving God when I'm full of guilt and shame and condemnation. But if I'll turn from that, turn back to him, confess my sin, Jesus comes in with the holy shower of heaven and washes all that junk off of me, I'm right back where I belong, in his presence. You know what my fight is these days? Staying right there. I just want to stay right there. You know what my fear of the Lord is today? Being away from right there. I don't want to be one second longer away from God than I need to be. I want to stay right there in the land of refreshment. No matter what's going on in my life, no matter if the wheels are falling off the truck, it doesn't matter. I want to stay right there with him. Does that help? And then he wraps it up with this. He says, he says, you're appointed Messiah. It says, Jesus will return to you. He will come again. He will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. He's getting them to change their thinking about Jesus and then to serve Jesus because he is coming again for all of us. How often do you think about that? How often does that run through your mind? Jesus could come back today. Jesus could come back right now. It could be a thousand years. But he could come back right now. What does that do when you think about Jesus coming back right now? It should encourage you. Right? It should strengthen you. It should give you hope. I serve a king who returns. Not a king who abandons and leaves me isolated and alone. I I serve a king who returns. So why is all of this important? Good question. When our motivation is right, God sees it and uses us to do miracles. Those miracles create moments when those watching get their eyes, ears, and hearts opened. And when that gets opened, we get to use our mouths to preach the good news. At the hearing of the good news, lost folks get to be found. 
and those who are spiritually dead get to be born again. Last verse. Come on, Steve. Verse, I'm going to slip, I'm going to sneak into chapter four all of a sudden, okay? Just forgive me, but I'm going to sneak into chapter four for just a second, just one verse. Chapter four, verse four says, but many of those people who heard their message believed it. So the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. So in a matter of two chapters, in a matter of two chapters, 5,000 people are added to the 120 that were in the upper room. Five thousand people born again. Five thousand people's names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And by the way, they only counted men in those days. They didn't count women and children, so it could easily be ten, fifteen thousand. But we'll stick with the five thousand. Five thousand people will one day stand before the risen Savior, and He'll say, "Come on into your rest." Simply because Peter and John woke up one morning. He said, Lord, I give you this day. Lord, use me today. Your will is greater than my will. Help me to see the opportunities in front of me. Give me a pure heart, a pure motivation to make you famous everywhere I go. And look at what happens. You don't need a 10-page document every morning from your quiet time to go out and be used by God. Sometimes you just need a simple prayer. Lord, would you use me today? My, my latest favorite prayer is, Lord, I just surrender and get out the way. Because I'm big and clumsy and I can just get in everybody's way. But I'm just going to get out the way and you just use me however you see fit. Because he'll make a big clumsy fella nimble. Let him. He'll make a shy, bashful person bold if you let him. You know, boldness is not having all the courage you need to say what you need to say. Boldness is just stepping up with your knees shaking and saying whatever the Holy Spirit's telling you to say. With your voice cracking. Amen. Get it? then give it. Get it, then give it. Get a fresh download of the Holy Ghost every morning and when you walk out your bedroom or your closet, start giving it. Empty it out. He'll fill you again. Get it again. And then give it out. And then get it. And then give it out. And then get it. And then give it out. And then get you some more. And give some more out. And then get you some more. And give some more out. And before you know it, you're going to be addicted to being used by God. And you won't want to live any other way. And your life will be full. And you'll see the things of this world as trash. What they really are. You'll see what people think about you as useless. You'll walk with a confidence and a courage that you've never known before. It's not too early. You can start when you're young, and it's never too late. If your heart's beating and your mouth still works, get it and give it away. Amen.
us pray. Lord, I pray we didn't come to church just to hear a message and listen to some songs. God, I ask you today to transform our lives. I ask you today to change us forever. God, light a fire inside of us that cannot be quenched. Stir a work up in us that we've never known before, God. Power of the Holy Ghost come over this church with a boldness and a courage like the, like the day of Pentecost, God, that we would go into this world around us with the right motivation, looking for opportunities for miracles to happen so that moments can be created, so that our mouths can give witness to Jesus and the world around us can get saved and born again and forever changed. God, we're not waiting on some foreign source to change this world or this nation. We are the change. The local church is the change. The individual Christian is the change. Use us to change the world around us. To transform lives. To cause the cripple to walk. The blind to see. The deaf to hear the sick to be healed to cause the marriages on the brink of divorce or contentment to be restored and refired God moving us today moving us today I want you to pray this with me I'm going to help you say Lord Jesus I come to you today I lay my life down. I may need to do this more often. But today I surrender. And I want to pray this powerful prayer that my bald-headed pastor told me to pray. Lord, use me. Lord, use me. I give you my life. Use me. Use me everywhere I go. Help me to see the moments and then to act on them. Anoint me for this world. Empower me with your Holy Spirit to be your witness, to make you famous, Jesus. It's not about me. It's about you, Jesus. Now, Father, we thank you for today and I bless you and I worship you and I praise you. I thank you for this moment in your word and in your word in worship, God. Thank you that you're faithful to meet us right here in this little building. Transform us with your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning?